This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Episode 24 of Aviation Careers Podcast. You know, it's been said that a passion for aviation is an incredible disease which is treated by hours of flying. Well, you know, one person that you can tell has been bitten by the aviation bug is Paul Dioria. And I tell you, when I first met Paul, his childlike smile and as he talked about aviation made me realize this person really was hooked on aviation. Although full of youthful exuberance and hope normally associated with a teenager heading to college, Paul has not seen his teens for decades. With that said, Paul personifies a passion for flight no matter the age of the pilot. Recently, Paul decided to transition from his desk job at a large corporation to flight instructing full-time. Years before that transition, he worked getting his ratings and building a client base for his flight instructor business. And that's a, a small business now, but he's, he's uh, wanting to build that. But first, before we get into the interview, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Audible. It's important to keep motivated and informed when you're pursuing a career. One of the best ways to increase your knowledge and keep motivated is to listen to books during your downtime, such as commuting to work, running on a treadmill, or walking through the park. One of the great things about Audible is that the first book is free, and there's no obligation to continue the subscription. You can cancel at any time and keep the book. Audible helps support this website, and I encourage you to visit Audible at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash audible. There are many great books you can listen to, with one of my favorites being 48 Days to the Work You Love by Dan Miller. I encourage you to discover your true potential and keep motivated by listening to audiobooks. Again, you can download your first book for free by clicking on the Audible icon or by going to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash audible. Today we're going to speak with Paul about working part-time as a flight instructor and how to prepare for a transition from a desk job to a full-time flying job. You know, his story is one we will watch unfold and hope to have him on again when we when he's working full-time in the field of instructing. Uh, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast, Paul. Thank you, Carl. I'm, uh, I'm just tickled to be here. I really appreciate you asking me to be on the show. Well, you know, I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is uh, I've actually, uh, just for full disclosure, I've, I've flown with Paul. We actually were in the same club in, in New Jersey, Flying Club. And uh, one day I wanted to get, uh, or I had to do a, a yearly checkout in a 172. And Paul is the one that actually checked me out. And what was really neat, Paul, is, is something that you did that, that uh, you know, I've been instructing for years, but you helped me with a maneuver. It was a, I think it was a steep spiral, and uh, I hadn't actually seen that maneuver, and he did a great job. You did a great job of actually teaching me how to do that, and it's really uh, helped me. So now if I have to go to my students and teach that, even though I don't do much primary, I do some commercials, I can go out and help them with that. So I really do appreciate that. I think you did a wonderful job there. You're, you're, you're welcome. I remember that well. I was a brand new, relatively new instructor, and I couldn't believe I had an ATP asking me to show him a maneuver. And uh, 
you bolstered bolstered my confidence as a result as an instructor. But I do remember that uh, that lesson. And and you know what's interesting is that, and the point I'm trying to make here is the fact that no matter how many hours you have, you can learn from everybody that you fly with, every single pilot. So you really need to keep your mind open because, you know, the type of flying that I do is IFR all day in a jet, and here I am flying a piston single engine, and I hadn't done this maneuver. And and as as pilots, we have to realize we, we need to be a little more humble in, in what we do flying-wise and, and realize that everybody, our students, everybody we can learn from. And, you know, hopefully, Paul, we're going to learn a little something today about uh, about flying and maybe changing careers. We have a lot of folks out there that that write in and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm kind of going through this change in my career. I'm retiring, and I want to be someone that's that's not just sitting around doing nothing in retirement. And I think you have an interesting story to tell folks. But, you know, before before you tell that story... How how did you get involved in aviation? You're you're a, a corporate desk job type of first person. How how did you develop this passion? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm an accountant by training and uh, spent most of my career at the desk job as as an accountant, financial reporting, finance, uh, that type of thing. And uh, it's it's not like I was born into an aviation family or or come from the military or anything like that. I just had a, an interest in it. I was actually flying commercially quite a bit for my bit for my job, and I'd look out the window a lot and look at these funny signs on the runways or hear the pilots speaking about things, and and uh, would read a little bit. And um, uh, as it came, as it as it happened, it, my as my kids, I have two daughters, and as they grew older, and I was doing less and less coaching and you know running them around on the weekends, I had some time on my hands. I literally just walked into a flight school one day. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we know each other, you know, the area we're in, there's four or five airports, literally four or five, um, non-towered fields, each within 20 to 25 minutes of where I live. And I picked one and, uh, walked in one day and, and started talking to the chief flight instructor there about what it would take to, you know, what's, what's it all about. And it was a very welcoming environment. It was a good experience. And, uh, I took the introductory flight and signed on for lessons. It was about eight years ago. I would have never imagined I would have gone on to, you know, pursue the instrument rating commercial and, and CFI. That was not in my game plan initially. It's just that once I took to it, um, I thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing. I wanted to be safer. wanted to be as proficient as I could. And um, I had, had a lot of good mentors along the way and folks who, who kind of uh, encouraged me to pursue the CFI. You know, it's interesting. Let's go back to when you walked in that door at that FBO. What, a lot of people when they walk in, uh, they're turned off. Uh, you had a do you had a different experience? It sounds like I, I did, and I actually had I had I saw both ends of the spectrum because I, I, I that was not the only FBO I went to, but the first one I went to, which is eventually where I signed on, um, the flight instructor there made that very point. Said, "Look, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. You're going to want to develop a rapport with the people at the flight school." He actually he actually did not want to take me up that day. I remember it was a windy day. He said, you know, I said, well, is it safe? He said, oh, it's eminently safe. He said, but, you know, we just wouldn't normally take passengers up. It's a little turbulent up there. He said, why don't you spend your day, um, you know, interviewing and going to some of these other FBOs that are in the area? And I did do that. I went to another one and I, and I found just unfortunately that type of thing that we, that we often read about and hear about where I just felt like I was walking into a very cliquish atmosphere. It wasn't very open. I, I just didn't seem to I don't know, feel, feel a good, warm feeling and a rapport with the people I was speaking with. So I went back, um, to the first uh, airport and, uh, eventually signed on there. And it was just, just as he, just as he sort of kind of warned me about, you know, so, uh, it was a good experience ultimately. Yes. I, and you know, I think that that's important to point out here is that the majority of schools I've run into, 
uh, they do that. They, they, you make, it makes you feel like you're in, in a certain club and you have to kind of know the secret handshake to get into that club. Now, with that, with that said, there are some schools that are terrific. They're very welcoming, just like you said. And, and that's actually, uh, a good segue into what we're going to talk about next as far as, you know, some of the keys to becoming a, a successful part-time flight instructor. One of the things that I've, I found, and I'm, I'm going to let you speak a little bit also about some of the keys is that you really need to, to be a very good part-time flight instructor. You have to be welcoming to people into this aviation field. You, you have to start with the fun things. You have to start with talking about what aviation is all about and, and not start with the negatives. I think you have to really start with the positives. And, uh, and what, what other keys are there? And would you agree with that, Paul? Yeah, no, I, I would. I, I, it, it, you want to start with the positives. I, I, I think about the experience I went through and, you know, as CFIs, we learn about, you know, primacy and learn, learning things right the first time and, and how those things make an indelible impression. And I remember, you know, the welcoming feeling I had, I, you know, I know what it, what it feels like if, if someone, it, you know, tends to denigrate instead or it has a discouraging tone. Um, so I kind of learned from that. It took a lot from the business world. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to lead some pretty large teams over the course of my career and, and um, you know, learned a lot in, in either on the job itself or, or in formal training programs about management and interacting with people. Um, folks have, have complimented me and said, I, you know, I, uh, I'm pretty amiable and can work with uh, uh, people pretty well. Uh, but that is important. It's just to, just to have that positive attitude and just that that welcoming or, or you know well, you, that warmth that you want to try to extend to others. Now you weren't going back to your corporate world. Did you do any teaching in the corporate world? Uh, n- no, but it's funny. In the, in the last year or so, I was doing more. Um, in fact, our CFO had asked me to put together a, a primer, if you will, a, a program for some of the executives, and then we we started to, to uh, cascade it down through the ranks on a couple of key finance concepts that we were trying to uh, indoctrinate the, the group on. So I was actually in front of a, a group of people two or three times uh, over the course of the last year, I guess like once a quarter or so, and uh, basically developed the materials myself and presented them and was really enjoying that. So really, if if you don't have a, a background in teaching, you still can become a successful flight instructor based on, I think what you said is is what you learned during your CFI and also uh, taking things from from other things that you've done in life, like in your corporate world, like giving presentations, that's, that's teaching also. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It, it really translates well. Yeah, and they, uh, now some of the other keys to success as a, a part-time flight instructor, because I think you've done a really good job uh, bringing in certain students in, like myself, et cetera, and they're very welcoming. Um, what, what other things do you think would, would be certain keys to being a successful part-time flight instructor? Well, I think one of the challenges I found for myself, and I think to be successful, you want to focus on it is, is because I am part time, because I'm still working, uh, you know, and there's no such thing I think anymore as a 40 hour job in the corporate world, 40 hour week job. So, you know, I'm working a lot of hours there. You know, it's hard to stay current. I, I want to make sure I'm uh, I'm as well read as I can, and I really do spend a lot of my waking hours on the weekends now around other pilots and around other instructors. Uh, maybe not with my nose buried in the books, but more just hanger flying with them, hearing hearing about their experiences, uh, their teaching techniques. You know, I have a lot to learn on how to teach. You know, I'm, I'm fairly confident in my abilities on, on what I've learned and and what you know what a candidate needs to do to to, to uh, pass a check ride and, and and perform to the PTS. But I know I also need to learn how to teach that and convey that better. So I think that's a particular challenge: not being in a flight school, not being surrounded by professionals. You know. Uh, 
eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, it's just put more of an onus on me to try to seek that stuff out through, through peer mentoring or, or through uh, seminars in the evening and just, just hanging around other, other instructors. Now, Paul, have you found during your instructing that there are any challenges, for instance, uh, with timing and becoming burnt out? You know, I've, I've actually had that, had that happen to me where I, I, I think overwhelmed was a better word for what happened to me. Have you ever had that type of challenge where, oh my gosh, I got work to do. I've got a student. I've got, I've got family, et cetera. Uh, to be honest with you, not yet. I, I, um, there, there's only been maybe once or twice where I said, boy, I, I, I've got to, I've got to fly this weekend and I'm, I'm a little burnt with work or whatever. Uh, as I said, I was traveling a lot recently and I actually, to be honest with you, the the teaching really took a backseat to that because I was traveling so much. And there was one particular case where I I called a student and said, we're going to have to cancel for for Saturday. Uh, I just knew I was fatigued. I just, you know, look at an I am safe checklist type of thing you go through in your mind and, I got in late the night before from the West Coast, and and uh, but but fortunately, it's only happened once or twice. And, and I think that's important: is is you have to be safe to fly, and you have to be ready for that lesson. Now, the other thing, though, you have to look at is from the student's perspective: is that I know I felt a little bit guilty when I've canceled lessons, and uh, if it happens often, I've actually had to pair myself with another instructor that works full time. Have you ever looked into something like that right now, as you're doing it part time? Um, yeah, um, I, I guess maybe more where I've been on the receiving end, uh, there's another instructor in our, in our club and uh, there's been, and he, he also does it part-time. Um, actually you, it's Tom Halverson who you interviewed on your previous show. And, uh, Tom has said to me on a couple of occasions, Hey, look, I'm going to be out of town or whatever. Or I, I don't have the time uh, this week. Something's come up. Can you, can you sit with this candidate and fly? And, uh, and I have also done that once myself with, with someone who, um, I just thought maybe could use another point of view or just hear another uh, way to, to have something demonstrated. So I've done it as well. Yeah, and I think that's a key, and I think that's one of the keys to be, becoming a part-time instructor is when you use that word part-time in, in the student's mind, they don't think you're going to be around all the time. So I've actually been called in myself, and I'm sure you have, just like you said, to help out with someone's training which makes it important to follow usually a syllabus or to find out from that instructor and coordinate what you're going to do on the next, the next lesson. But I think there, there's a lot that you can do to make some extra money instructing by just pairing with flight schools and, and, and other instructors. I mean, do you feel the same way, not just with Tom, but with other people too? Yeah, I, I think that's right. It, um, you know, there, there's, it's, a, it's a closed system, and at some point there's the, the demand sometimes exceeds the supply. So uh, I think you can – you can uh, make a few extra bucks on the side um, if the flight schools know you. In fact, uh, where where I'm in the club that we were in, Carl, together, as you know, there's a flight school there, and I've been approached there once or twice that they ran a Groupon campaign and they had all sorts of people coming out for introductory rides, and they had asked me if I would want to just kind of freelance for them for a while. So yes, it's there's those opportunities are out there. Now let's. Is there anything else as far as uh, becoming a successful instructor part time that you can think of that you'd want to relate before we move on? Uh, no, I think we covered it. I think, like I said, the, the main thing is just knowing, for me, knowing I wasn't around the airport, you know, 24-7, was just to try to stay as current as I could and uh, and be ready for those for those uh, training sessions, which were, you know, infrequent in, in, in occurrence by definition. You know, there was only, you know, you know, one or two a week at best. You know, as far as keeping current, one of the things that I've done, 
uh, is I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, I watch the videos. AOPA has some great stuff out there. Uh, Glime, uh, General Aviation News, keeping up to date with all the changes. Say there's a change in the commercial syllabus. I might find that out by, by getting all these emails from all these different organizations and also listening to their shows. I think that's been, been a key for me to be able to keep current as a, as a part-time instructor also. And I'd suggest that for anybody. I'm a big fan of all the podcasts, uh, your show, certainly all the others that are in the pod sphere out there. And you're right. You, you, you get a lot of information that way. You can uh, utilize that time, put that, put that commuting time, windshield time, as I like to call it, to pr- productive use and, uh, and, and garner some information. I was going to say the one cool thing is that they're all free. <laughs> That's a- yeah. Yeah. That's terrific. It really is. Yeah. Now, now, Paul, you you talked about uh, you're going to be retiring. Uh, how soon till you retire? Yeah, um, uh, you know, corporate reorganization we're going through, and uh, uh, fortunately, or unfortunately, uh, depending on how you look at it, I have enough years of service there, along with uh, along with my own age. Uh, so it's actually retirement. I'm looking forward to it, and I, I leave in three weeks' time, end uh, end of uh, 2012. Wow, that's that sounds exciting. Now you're going to be able to spend a lot more time doing doing some instructing. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I guess it was, um, for those who you know, work in the corporate world, I mean, I feel very fortunate. I've, I've been there, it'll be 27 years and, uh, you know, I've dodged a lot. There's always reorganizations that come, that come along. And, uh, I've been fortunate that I've never really been affected by any in the past. I've been in the middle of them, but I've always kind of landed on my feet and, and, and pursued other opportunities or the, the opportunities were created on this one. This one, I think I could see my time maybe may ending, and uh, I really started putting more time into the flying side, um, actually as far back as a couple years ago, just just because I didn't want to, you know, if the day ever came, I wanted to have something to fall back on, and that's kind of when I started the transition, and uh, and now the day was here, and it was it was kind of mutual, and it was bilateral, and I was couldn't have asked for a better, uh, softer landing, and, and now I've got something, a plan B to fall back on. So you're. This is kind of like almost like a a, a late midlife uh, career change for you. Well, that's um, exactly how I'm looking at it. It's not really a retirement per se. Uh, maybe the HR professionals would call it that, but for me, it's a it's a midlife career change. Exactly. And and here's my point with flight instructing: you never ever retire from being a flight instructor because once you're a flight instructor, you're always a flight instructor. Whether you do it part time, full time, no matter what, you're always a flight instructor. So you'll have that for the rest of your life, which is terrific. I think that's wonderful. Uh, but you now, how are you preparing to go from this, uh, I guess, full-time position to possibly into this part-time and now transitioning to full-time flight instructor position? Well, you know, it's funny. I, it, I do feel like I'm, I'm drinking from a fire hydrant right now. It's like, you know, learning a, a new career all over again, which is truly what I'm doing. Uh, so I'm listening to a lot of people. I'm just trying to figure out for myself whether I, whether I want to, uh, it's not really weather, but when I would pursue some other ratings, you know, I, I, I don't have a multi-engine rating. I don't have a tailwheel rating. I have some tailwheel time, but, but not in the, I don't have the, the endorsement, I should say, the tailwheel endorsement. So I'll probably go ahead and get some of those things out of the way with some free time. And then um, I do have uh, an application in and, and uh, some verbal um, uh, acceptances, so to speak, from the owner of the flight school that uh, I'll start there the uh, first, first quarter of next year. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, I think I'm going to just, you know, take some time off in the meantime, brush up, maybe, like I say, get that multi-engine commercial out of the way, uh, get a tailwheel endorsement, um, and then and then really uh, be ready to teach. 
Well, great. Now, there, one of the reasons I wanted you on here was that there's so many people trying to figure out what they're going to do or how they can transition to, to doing something part-time or full-time like you're about to do in the flight instructing world. And one of the more, more important things is how do you build your client base uh, as an independent flight instructor, which you basically will be? Uh, how do you build your student base? And, uh, you know, I have some suge suggestions, you know, obviously getting involved with a flight school like you were talking about is, is important. Is there anything that you're doing to prepare to, to try to build this client base? Is there anything you're doing now to market yourself? Uh, no, I'm actually looking, I'm listening to a lot of people and just trying to figure out how, how do you do that? Uh, I, you know, obviously, uh, uh, word of mouth is very important and, uh, I have been trying to, uh, uh, build, take on more uh, clients from, from our club, our flying club. We have some 45 active members in our club. So there's, there's always a handful of people who are pursuing advanced ratings. Uh, so right now for me, it's, it's primarily word of mouth and, uh, and I really think it's something I need to earn and, and uh, you know, earn people's trust and respect that they would recommend me to others. And uh, I think, the, you know, the quicker I, I, I dip my toe in the water and, and get you know, one of those first students to, to a check ride completion, uh, uh, hopefully that'll be a good experience for the client. They'll feel they got their money's worth and uh, they would be more than happy to, to continue to spread my name around. And and that's one of the the methods of of actually building your client bases is word of mouth of get, getting with other people. The other thing that I I usually suggest to people as far as building their client bases, you know, be be out there, be everywhere as far as uh, with your your t shirts on or anything that says aviation on it. Wear those things all the time because when you're sitting around and say in a restaurant, you never know. Someone might come up yeah. to you and say, "Hey, do you fly airplanes?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I do." And Oh, that's something I've always wanted to do. And, and you say, Hey, here's my card. Let's go out and let's, uh, let's go for a flight and I'll show you around the airport and tell you how you can become a pilot. I think that's, a, that's really important too, is, is to be able to be out there everywhere talking about aviation, getting involved with different organizations even and, and right. volunteering your time. Yeah. That's, a, that's actually a great point. I should have, I should have mentioned that I just had some personal learnings there. Uh, the local FISDO here just did a thing on CFI professionalism, and that was one of the topics we talked about, you know, about our dress, our appearance, but just being out there in the community, um, you know, being those, being that, you know, general ambassador for aviation, so to speak. And uh, again, just le leading by example, I think, uh, you know, I hope to maybe conduct some seminars. I've done a couple of uh, safety seminars for our club and as a club, which is a whole different topic, I guess, but, you know, just in terms of promoting our club, we've also talked about the idea of bringing outsiders in um, to safety seminars and whatnot. But that's, uh, yeah, that would be a great way, obviously, to get your name out there if you conduct a, you know, a very successful seminar. I'm sure people will remember that and, and hopefully uh, keep you in mind for the future. You know, I'm glad you, you mentioned the whole becoming an ambassador for aviation because that's really what we need to do. And that, that was actually my next point here is we need to really become ambassadors for the flight instructing community and for aviation in general. And how do you do that? You do it just like you said. You get involved. You give presentations to schools. You give presentations to different safety organizations. You get involved with the FAA safety team. You don't have to actually be a representative yourself, but you can volunteer to give a talk to one of those safety meetings that they have. There's a lot of different things out there that we can do to build that client base. And I think another one, too, is is just 
getting your card out there, putting it on, on the wall, putting it everywhere, uh, going to different airports even and giving your card out and saying, hey, this is what I'm doing over at this other airport. Do you know anybody? And they, they may know that too. So there's so many different ways of doing that. People think you need to go out and do a lot of advertising, but I don't think that's true because I think where you find most of your students is at the airport. I mean, if you hang around, if you don't have a student and you just hang around the airport and hang around with pilots, you're going to wind up finding a student eventually, you know, by, by doing right. that. And that's actually how, when I was uh, chief of a flight school uh, years ago, I told them, I said, the, the new instructors is just sit here. And you'd be amazed how many people walk through that door. And if you're willing to take time and speak to that person, you can easily build that, that client base as an instructor. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, that I, I think that people don't do, and I've done every so often, is go to local corporations and teach them about aviation. Teach them about uh, the impact of aviation on their communities. And sometimes out of that, you, you may get a student or so. You may or may not, but you are, again, being that ambassador for flying. I think that's a that's another way to, to go out there. And there's many, many different ways to do that. And there's even books on that, you know, you, that you I, can look read as far as building your client base. I, I appreciate that. I'm taking copious notes here, Carl. This is great. <laughs> Well, and, and you know what's interesting is that I hope when you when you come back on our show again in, in another year or so, and and uh, or maybe even sooner than that, we'll we'll be talking about how to deal with having too many students, and uh, how to you know what do you do as far as booking people part time and and on standby and that type of thing because that that is actually probably what's going to happen with you. But working uh, with uh, flight schools, let's go back to that. One, I want to hear your some of your experiences. We we heard one there, but um, I know I've had certain experiences, and I've had people write in and talk about the fact that you know there's, gosh, there's some flight schools that don't even want to talk to you. Uh, have yeah. you have you felt that? Have you run into? Yeah, that? I, you know, I I thought long and hard about uh, you know what I what I wanted to do and how I wanted to pursue it in terms of flight instruction. Do I just want to be a freelance? Uh, and I ultimately decided, no, I want to I want to align with a flight school. And, you know, I mentioned that there are various FBOs that are in the area. And you're right. The, you know, I, I eventually put the application in at, at a flight school where I, I, I trained uh, to become the CFI, because while I was training there, it was just it was just a place where you could tell there was a genuine respect amongst the instructors themselves. The, the equipment is top notch on the field. Uh, I mean, you literally could sit there all day after your lesson and, and feel welcome and and. And of course, your instructor has now since gone on with another client, but someone else would walk in and wind up talking with them for a little bit. And it's just a very welcoming feeling, and and uh, can tell folks are quite dedicated to their craft. And you go to other schools, and it just—you're right—you just don't you don't feel welcome. Actually, um, and there's nothing wrong with this, but the, the one school that I'm thinking of where I didn't apply, most of the instructors there were very young, and you know, almost to a person, they were all there to to go to the airlines, which is great. Um, whereas the, the, where I where I did apply, um, and those folks I was telling you about before who were very welcoming, they were all kind of career instructors. They, they you know that's what they wanted to do. They were kind of the same age as me. And uh, um, in fact, one one there's a woman instructor at the one place. She had teenage kids the same age as my kids, and we 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 you know we related to one another on that level. So um, you really do see the gamut out there. But um, uh, you know, I, I eventually went with the flight school that I thought um, just had the right mix of of, of personality skill. And, and really just dedication to, to, to getting students through the program. That's really what I want to do in terms of my career goals in aviation is just to instruct. You know, you brought up a really good point, Paul, as far as uh, young flight instructors. 
And I want to make sure that our listeners realize never discount a young flight instructor who's looking at a career with an airline because they can be some of the best instructors. There are right. some amazingly talented new and young flight instructors out there that can sure can teach. And that is their goal to go with the airline. But you know what? They have the integrity to realize that they have to do their best job right now. And right now that job is teaching you how to fly and teaching you more about aviation. So, uh, you know, I think, I think that point was brought across, but I really want to emphasize the fact that there are some really terrific young folks out there that are, that are teaching. And, uh, you never know. Maybe they'll come back to flight instructing part time again someday once they go to the airlines. That'd be terrific. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, I, I can't wait to hear about, uh, what's going to happen with you and, and your flight instructing. But, you know, let's, let's talk more about, uh, your career in aviation and not actually the, the specifics of becoming a successful part time flight instructor. Uh, you know, one of the, the things that, uh, we hear often here at Aviation Careers Podcast and I hear, uh, throughout the field is that, uh, well, it's, it's, gosh, it's too late for me. It's too late for me to get started in this career. And, and I honestly, that's, that's something I hear not just about aviation careers. It's about everything, but I really don't feel that it's too late to start really most anything in life, even with flying. And I think, Paul, you've even realized that uh, to work as a professional pilot at your age, you could do that. I think there was something you were relating that happened today to me that maybe you could share with the audience. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's encouraging to hear you say that because I was of that uh, maybe ill-informed uh, uh, point of view that said, well, geez, you know, I'm in my early 50s. I'm not really going to you know, latch on with an airline or do any sort of professional flying at this stage. Um, but I'm learning that actually that 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 could be in the cards. Um uh, what I was relaying earlier, Carl, was um, uh, was I got together with a, a former coworker of mine, but he's a corporate pilot for for the large company I worked for. He he's since moved on, and he's, he's with an air taxi service now. But we we kept in touch, and he knew I became a pilot a few years ago, and he wound up introducing me today to two or three other uh, corporate pilots for large Fortune fifty companies. And I just sat listening to these guys and their stories. And if, if, by the way, it was you know these are everyday people, and we we had a great lunch together. But to a person, they said, you are not too old, and there is always time to, to start and to uh, you know, make a real, real career of this. So uh, it, was, it was a very encouraging uh, afternoon I had today uh, that suggests I, could, I maybe could teach at, at, at a flight school uh, for folks who are you know, pursuing uh, you know, type ratings in, in, in jets and, and large aircraft or, or maybe even latch on as a, as a, uh, for, you know, as a corporate aviator somewhere. And that that's important right there is a lot of people think they can't do it because the airlines, you have to retire at 65. You can't fly anymore. But that's not true with corporate. If you're in good shape and you can get a medical, you can keep flying. And that that's just, just a, an avenue that people don't think about, and I think that's terrific. But even at your age, let, let's talk about this for a second, and, and I want to get your opinion on this. At At your age... You could look towards the airlines if you had enough experience. Say you finally got your ATP, you could go work for, say, you know, you may not get picked up by a major. You probably won't. But you could fly for a regional airline. Now, people look at regionals as, as not a good career path. But if you were to make captain at a regional, you, you can make a pretty decent living there. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, you might... You know, you look at the majors and, and they're making a certain amount of money. Uh, a regional airline captain at a jet operator is going to be making, you know, seventy, eighty thousand 80,000 on average, uh, per year, which isn't a bad salary. 
No. And and you could wind up making that that type of pay, and and a lot of them make more than that, obviously, more than that because of the fact that they work overtime. So that you, you can't totally discount that, especially for somebody in your fifties like yourself. Uh, but but you've been able to design this this kind of unique lifestyle because you're able to to move on from a retirement somewhere. And and there's a lot of people in that position, uh, people coming out of the military. They're like, oh, what am I going to do now? I put in 20, right. 25 years and, and I'm able to, to move on. So I think what's really important is you have to figure out your unique uh, career goal. And, and I was wondering, have you thought about that possibly doing something like that? You know, I, I, I've, I've given it a lot of thought. I haven't landed on anything yet. I, I think the, the fundamental thing that I've, I've kind of concluded is that it really is going to start with flight instruction. I, I really do want to just be as proficient as I can for, for, for basic and, you know, I was going to say, you know, general aviation flight instruction, part 61 type instruction. Um, so I want to start there. If nothing else, I'll, it'll help me build the hours anyway. Um, but I, I really am just kind of a sponge right now trying to take it all in as to, as to where I might go with this, um, uh, you know, again, just the recent information I got today suggesting I could become an advanced instructor at, 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 at schools that, you know, teach corporate pilots. That was very intriguing to me. Also had a conversation this past week with somebody who wants to go on. He's, he also has a, a job, a day job outside of aviation, uh, but is looking to make a, a career change and wants to teach at the college level in an aviation program at a school down in North Carolina. Um, that all has a lot of appeal to me. And now, how about looking at the possibility of working for a regional? Have you ever thought about that too? Uh, n- not not in depth. No, no. Okay, I haven't really chatted about it with with, with my wife or thought through what what the uh, what it, what it's like, you know, from from a, a work home life balance perspective. Yeah, yeah, and that that could be a challenge right there, which uh, which kind of brings up something else. Uh, you just talked about that work home life balance is, uh, you know, you're in a, this middle age career transition, you know, what are those challenges? Uh, what have you gone through and, and what do you think that other people might go through during this period? Well, I, you know, I, I know what I went through with, uh, with a very, you know, comfortable and, and, and for me satisfying career, um, as, 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 as a CPA for, for the company I've worked for, but you know, you, you earn, you, you earn it too. And, and I, I know my kids would, would, would remind me of certain things that I missed over the years. Um, I, you know, I, I turn it back to you. I, I can only imagine what it's like, uh, 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 for coming through the airlines. I, you know, I, I don't know firsthand, but, um, I'm sure there's the same sort of challenges. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that's kind of like what I wanted to lead into. There are certain people that are able to work for an airline and actually be home almost every night. But then again, the problem there is that they're usually pretty senior and it takes years to get to that point. But if you can work for an airline that's possibly has a base, near where you live, that will be terrific. The only caveat is this, and as I always like to warn people, you may not get that base when you first get hired, and then you might get base further away. And this is a point that someone brought up at uh, the Regional Airline Association about people making midlife career changes is that they'll come to work for a regional and then realize they're not going to be based near home, and that was the reason they went to work for that regional, and then they quit after six months. Uh, so you have to kind of go in with your eyes wide open and say to yourself, okay, what are my chances of getting this base that I want, and how long will it take me to get there? It could take years for you to get to transfer into the base that you actually want. And uh, that may not work out for some people, especially if you want to you wanna be home and you have children at home, that type of thing, which uh, may, you know, possibly some of these other careers, uh, like being a corporate pilot, might, might yeah. be more appealing to you, or working with a, a local aviation college or a program within that college. 
But yeah, any as far as as you're, you know, this is really exciting to see where you are right now. You're pretty much at the beginning. You've done a really good job uh, working with the students that you have right now, and and you know, I, I realize you don't have anybody any primary students. It's mainly you know instrument and filling in for other people. But but that's kind of what you do as a as a part time instructor. Is, is there anything else that maybe we left out that you might want to pass along to some of the people that are thinking about number one doing this part time and. Maybe number two, as far as transitioning to uh, a full-time position and making a career change. Uh, no, I think we covered. I think we covered everything. I mean, I, again, for those in the corporate world, you know, there's, there, I just personally wanted to be prepared for that day if 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 a, uh, a reorg came and I, I would have a plan B. And um, a couple of years ago, I, I always thought about teaching in the back of my mind. Um, you know, in the accounting realm or whatever. And then when I when I started flying, I, I, I remember being in one of my first ground schools one night. I said, boy, this looks really cool. I, I, I think I could do this and hopefully do it well. And that's when the, the, the first notion of maybe a, a career change or something to do in retirement first entered into it. So I guess I would just tell folks to the extent they have time while they're with while they're otherwise gainfully employed in their day job to take that time to to pursue the ratings. That's the practical slant that I took and just use that time and that money that I was earning and put it towards the ratings, uh, get that all out of the way for the times when, you know, save it for that rainy day when times are more more lean, at least the ratings are all paid for and and the the flight training and then uh, start to build, build the base from there. Well, that's some great advice, and that's a good place to to leave off with this discussion we've had here. And I, you know, Paul, I really appreciate your coming. I was wondering, can you stay around just for about ten, fifteen more minutes, uh, just to go through our recommendations? Because there's one here I think that would interest you. Oh, sure. Thanks so much. I uh, one of the things I like to do is always recommend something for our listeners to to read or some website they can go to uh, to get some more information about their career. Now. It doesn't necessarily have to do with aviation. And the recommendation I have today is actually a book that I read, and I think it's really important for those people that are looking at a career in aviation, changing a career into aviation, or just in general. And actually the name of the book, and this is interesting, it's called Stop Acting Rich and Start Living Like a Real Millionaire. And it was written by the millionaire next door. But uh, the reason I, I looked at this is because you know, I, I receive a lot of emails from listeners, and they want to change careers, but they can't because their income has increased so as to fit their their lifestyle. You know, so their, or their lifestyles fit into their income. And you know, if this has happened to you, if you started making more money and then you buy a bigger house, buy a bigger car, you know, don't feel bad because you know what, it it happens to a lot of us. You know, and and a lot of us feel chained to this job that we have as like an anchor around our neck. Because we've kind of taken our income and as it's grown, we've changed our lifestyle and and we've gotten into this high consumption lifestyle. And the first step, of course, you need to do once you realize this is to stop this high consumption lifestyle and start beginning to live within your means and saving money. And, you know, we all think that we want to be rich because we want to buy the things that rich people have. But to feel rich, we begin buying those things and make us happy, of course, when we buy them. But you know what? They straddle us with debt for such a long time. And these are inanimate objects that that have no meaning later on. Maybe you bought that fancy BMW. You know, we talk about those midlife crises there. And and we wind up buying those things and then realizing, oh, my gosh, now I have to pay for this thing. Uh, You know, if your dream is to have a career in aviation, uh, you need to be really conservative in your spending and your lifestyle. 
And one of the reasons, there's a few reasons, uh, the high cost of training, uh, the low starting wages, and, you know, the years that it requires to gain experience to make you marketable within this industry. And, you know, you'll, you'll need to start living within your means, but, you know, this is really difficult to do without some type of guidance or examples. And you know what? As pilots, we try to emulate the skills and safety practices of those pilots and instructors that we admire. You should also try to emulate those who are financially successful, such as millionaires. And you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to find the information in this book, Stop Acting Rich, really valuable and discover that many of the millionaires in this country became wealthy by leading a frugal lifestyle and not being caught up in this high consumption lifestyle that we often associate with wealth. You know, the greatest lesson that I learned from this book is that if you look at things that you purchase from a practical standpoint, as opposed to how it makes you feel when you, you know, right when you buy those things and, you know, look at it through, you know, navigating your way through this aviation career as opposed to what it makes you feel like, you know, how is this going to help you in that career? You know, I, I think you'll realize that those things aren't important. And I think by reading this book, you'll learn something that will help move you towards financial security and allow you to concentrate on obtaining your aviation career goal. Now, you know, Paul, you're you're kind of you're a finance guy, you're a CPA, and and I think you could talk a little bit towards this. Is that you know we I'm sure you've seen this before where you maybe you've done this yourself. I've done it where you start making more money and then then you start spending more. But that's, that's probably not the worst thing to do. The best thing to do is to start paying things off. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I know I've I've certainly been guilty of that through stages of my life. Uh, uh, you know, the, the money burns a hole in your pocket, but uh, uh, books like this, I, I hear my father's voice just in terms of just being a frugal saver and just, you know, trying to care for the important things first. So I haven't read the book, but it sounds like it's with that same kind of theme. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, and I, I think it's a great thing to do is just realize that uh, most people with money, they, they don't buy things that are, are, are showy and that type of thing. So, so again, that's Stop Acting Rich. Uh, take a look at the website, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 24. It'll be there. You can click on it. You can read uh, some of the reviews. You can also read some excerpts from it. And I'd appreciate it if you bought it off our website. And it helps support uh, Aviation Careers Podcast. Uh, one last thing before before we do wrap up, though, is I do have uh, one listener mail. And I want to go through that really quickly. And then uh, and then we'll move on to our closing here. The um, the one email that I got was from from Scott this week. Uh, here we go. And it says, Hi, Carl. I recently discovered your podcast from a tweet by Max Trescott about being on your show. The title, Successful Instructor, was perfect and very timely as I'm in the early development stages of alerting my career path after 30 years in the information technology field. I found myself on the short end of the corporate restructuring stick and am now underemployed, perhaps a blessing in disguise. I've wanted to teach for a while now and have earned my ground instructor certificate with advanced instrument ratings in addition to holding a private pilot's license. I've been told by several individuals that I'd be an excellent instructor, and even my DPE made mention of the oral portion of my private pilot checkride was complete. I've decided that I would like to pursue instructing, uh, and with the complexity of the environment in which we fly along with the newer training fleet, there's a lot more knowledge needed to be a safe and competent pilot beyond the basics. My question to you is this. Does a market exist, and can an individual be successful at instructing without ever leaving the ground? 
There are so many areas that are just touched upon in primary and advanced training and so much more to learn. But even during training, what flight instructor wouldn't want their student to be well prepared for their lesson and understand the concepts being taught? What student wouldn't want to better prepare for the oral portion of their exam or written test? My current definition of success is supplementing my income part-time along with sharing my passion for learning and knowing everything one can about what makes an individual a better pilot. I'd like to see the supplemental income grow into a full-time income status someday, but I'm all for starting out small and doing things right, just as Max mentioned in the podcast. This is not a means to an end for me, but rather my end to help the beginnings of other pilots. I've just started to formulate my plans, and any expert advice you can pass along would be most appreciated. I'm sure there are many possibilities I haven't thought of, if we know exists, my ears and eyes are wide open and to suggestions. I appreciate any information you can pass along regards, Scott. Well, Scott, this kind of is, is one of the reasons we brought Paul on today because it sounds like, you know, the, the two of you, Paul, may be a, kind of a similar situation. Yeah, you know? <laughs> quite an incredible parallel here, yes. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things he talked about is, uh, you know, a market for ground instructors. You know, one, you know, obviously one of the ways you can supplement your flight instructing income is teaching ground schools. And to do that, that could be like on nights and weekends and, uh, and possibly even a single subject, uh, seminars like i used to teach a a non-flyers guide to the cockpit and i think you you actually talked about that a little bit too paul as far as doing some of those seminars etc and getting out there and talking a little bit uh but you know depending on the flight school uh that you might be able to work with and working with other instructors uh while you know obviously they're concentrating on the flight portion uh it you might uh find that there's some instructors that don't like teaching ground school but then again there's some that do like to teach ground school. It might be kind of tough to do both of those at the same time. You know, you just do the ground and they do the flight. Uh, but you can. I mean, there are some people out there that you can find that, that allow you to do that. They'll say, hey, listen, can you do this ground lesson? But one of the important things, and I think, Paul, you'll agree with this, is that you really need to follow a syllabus if you're going to work with an instructor like that because the instructor that you're working with on this flight portion needs to know where that person stands. And there's a lot of coordinating that Absolutely, I agree with that. Yeah, but but here's here's something interesting, and Paul, I'd, I'd like your opinion on this as as a uh, you know a new instructor. If someone was to come to you, I know if someone came to me and say, "Hey, I want to do your ground school," uh, I might say to them, "That's a possibility," uh, because I I might want to spend some time with them, and also you know thinking about it from a practical standpoint. I might want to actually make that money myself because of the fact that I need it. I need it for my income. But I could see that if I'm getting really busy, and it's happened to me, gotten really busy, I, I I could say, hey, listen, could you do this ground school for me? What do you What do you think, Paul? Do you think that that's a good idea? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think it's a great great experience. I know for me that was one of the the, the, uh, the tougher portions or the more challenging portions. Was just again hearing myself, how I was conveying information to others. It's a great experience builder. Um, and I, I think it really does, you know, it could plug a real hole there or a need if, if an other instructor otherwise uh, becomes, you know, uh, over uh, overburdened with, with tasks or with uh, you know, other clients, whatever, just runs out of time. But it really is important, though, to, to know where that student is in the syllabus. Uh, so you can can you you can pick up at the right spot and emphasize the right the right themes that the other instructor may have uh, uh, already started on. 
That's that's great advice there. Now, uh, you know, and Scott, thanks for that uh, question. You know, with this upcoming pilot shortage that we're going to have here in the next few years, uh, I and as more instructors get experience, I think you're going to get a little bit busier actually uh, doing some of that ground instructing because I, I know some of the, the regionals is going to start picking up some people. Uh, but, uh, again, thanks for the question. And if anybody else has questions, please write in. Well, folks, that's the end of the show, and I, I really hope uh, you enjoyed listening to Paul Dioria's story and uh, come back in the future to hear how he's progressed in his, his flight instructing. And uh, if you have any questions for Paul, feel free to contact me, you know, uh, and I'll pass those questions along. Paul, would that be okay? If- that's fine. I'd be Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to answer any questions anyone has. Well, if they do have questions, this is this is how they can get to with with me or with you. Just click on the contact page on the website at aviationcareerspodcast.com/contact and send us a message. Uh, and there's many other ways to contact us. You can uh, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. On Facebook, it's Aviation Careers Podcast. On Twitter, it's at Flying Careers. You'll get up to date information. You can also ask your questions there, and you can send me an email directly if you do have a question and just say, "Hey, this question's for Paul." Uh, my Email is carl, C-A-R-L, at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Or another way you can do that, and we can play it on the uh, on the podcast. Of course, try to leave out all your personal information if you can. Uh, and if you do put some personal information on, we will we'll delete that from there before we do put it on the air. But it's uh, the number is 347-MY-WINGS. Again, it's 347-699-4647. You know, before every flight, a pilot takes time to plan for a normal flight. A good pilot places just as much thought into contingency plans. It's a good idea to follow the lead of a good pilot in command and spend adequate time planning both your career and making contingency plans. By having financial stability, it makes your plan go much smoother. Financial stability is like having extra fuel in the tanks because you can make many diversions but still make it to your destination without stopping along the way. And that's the reason I brought up the book and recommended Stop Acting Rich. By avoiding a high-consumption lifestyle, you'll be able to use the money to progress towards your career goal. And I think that, that Paul's been a good example with this. And uh, remember, you know, having extra fuel is like extra money in the bank. You'll make it into a career, the destination that you want to, with greater financial safety and speed. You know, and I hope that you've been... You've really enjoyed this podcast today. Paul, you know, again, we appreciate you having having you on today and, and look forward to, to your journey in the future and, and hearing about what you've done in the future with your flying career. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'd be very flattered if you had me back. And as for today, it's just been an absolute delight. I really thank you for having me on. <laughs> oh, thanks, Paul. And again, look forward to Paul in some future episodes. And, and you know, again, look forward to seeing you next uh, episode, folks out there. And most importantly, look forward and try to keep moving towards your aviation career goal. Enjoy the journey and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, Compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.